there is a place where I found belonging and freedom and it was in a strange land where I was a foreigner and yet the discovery of who I was while I was in Palestine helped me see clearer who I'm becoming. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the podcast where being labeled a heretic is a good thing. We're starting conversations about God, politics, sexuality, spiritual formation, how we got here, and how to move forward post-evangelicalism. Nothing is off-limits in our conversations with scholars, seekers, activists, and writers in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. Welcome to Holy Heretics. Welcome to the first guest episode of Season 3. I'm your host, Gary Allen Taylor. And as I said last week, we are dedicating this season to individuals on the margins of faith and society, hoping to learn from their perspectives and be guided by their lived experiences into seeing and being more fully human. And unfortunately, based on perceived differences, fear, and maybe even a lack of education and empathy, the church has more often than not throughout history muzzled or simply ignored these voices on the fringes. And sadly, we've done that to our own peril. Like in nature, biodiversity inspires growth, flourishing, and life. And even more so does this diversity within our spiritual journeys expand our knowledge of the sacred, because we can only see what we've been trained to see, which is why we need guides who have ventured down other pathways, roads less traveled by status quo religion. When our faith communities have people of different backgrounds, beliefs, races, genders, and even sexual orientation, each person is able to contribute their own unique story and gifts so as to make the greater whole better. And that's why I'm so excited about today's guest. We are joined today by Dr. Robin Henderson Espinosa. One quick announcement before we jump into the dialogue. When we recorded this episode, Dr. Henderson Espinosa's name was Robin. But today, their name is Roberto. We sought permission and blessing from Dr. Henderson Espinoza prior to releasing this episode due to the nature of their name change. Dr. Robin is passionate about the politics of radical difference and the ways that our collective differences might shed light on how we become a better body together. Dr. Robin has been described in a myriad of ways, including a scholar activist, scholar leader, thought leader, teacher, public theologian, ethicist, poet of moral reason, and word artist. Among these ways of describing Dr. Robin, they are also a visionary thinker who has spent two decades working in the borderlands of church, academy, and movement seeking to not only disrupt but dismantle supremacy culture and help steward the logic of liberation as a non-binary transqueer Latinx. Dr. Robin is also the founder of the Activist Theology Project, a Nashville-based collaborative project that is dedicated to social healing. Dr. Robin is a non-binary trans man, Latinx, and adult on the autism spectrum who calls Nashville, Tennessee home. They are the author of Activist Theology and Body Becoming, A Path to Our Liberation. 
Dr. Robin's next book link project focuses on belonging and freedom. So, Dr. Robin, an incredible bio. We can go in so many different directions. It's it's really an honor to have you on the show today. Thanks so much. It's good to be here. Awesome. All right. So I want to start with something that I have read related to uh, your most recent book, Body Becoming. And it, it really stood out to me and it's kind of haunted me for the last several days. And I would love to kind of read this excerpt um, and then maybe get your response to just kind of get us get us going in the right direction. So sure. um, I read that that. Um, I read this, and I'll kind of let you respond. It says, the body that Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza inhabits is a non-binary body, a trans body, a body in two races, and a body continually in discovery. I find that beautiful, but I would love to know, what does that mean to you when you sort of hear it, you know, said back to you? Well, I... I mean, it, it, number one, that, that book is very personal and, and, and it sort of peels back the veneer of all the things that are a lot of the things that have happened to me that have shaped this sort of becoming that mm -hmm. I'm embracing. And, you know, what you just read feels very true. I feel like I wake up every morning and there's something new for me to discover and yet I feel like I've spent a lifetime ignoring the discovery of the body. Mm. And, and by ignoring, do you mean like discovering who you are in the body that you, you know, that you inhabit? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like spending so much time in academia, it doesn't create conditions to get to know yourself or get to know your body. Um, mm. I write in the book that that, you know, I basically live from the shoulders up. And so from the shoulders down, it just, I was not in relationship with my body. Hmm. And so there's some grief when I hear that, um, that, that excerpt that you read, um, there's grief, there's lament, and then there's joy because I am figuring out who I am. I am discovering who I am. Um, I've just returned from Palestine mm -hmm. where, you know, I had a, an amazing experience, so much gender euphoria. I was hanging out with Arab Muslim men and they treated me like a common brother. And mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know, I didn't have to explain whether or not I was trans or not. They just accepted me. Wow. And there's something really beautiful about that, that, that here, at least in the United States, gender and sexuality has been so politicized in negative ways right. that, um, you know, people are being harmed for being who they are. And in fact, you know, in the past six months, I've been targeted three times, this most recent time by Matt Walsh and company. Right. Um, and so I'm just reflecting on my time in Palestine and the fact that there is a place where I found belonging and freedom and it was in a strange land where I was a foreigner hmm. and yet the discovery of who I was while I was in Palestine helped me helped me see clearer who I'm becoming mm. 
Well, you know, I want to I want to talk about that because I witnessed that you know firsthand on on Twitter. That's that's kind of where I was introduced to you and your work, and I immediately began to see this very personal, uh, vitriolic, uh, vengeful. I mean, hate filled attack of you, yeah. of your personhood, of who you are, of your body, um, and. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to be too simplistic here, but it does feel like that most of those attacks within the American religious context come from white evangelical men or at least white conservative men. Right. Um, and and I, I guess I'm just curious, as the victim of those attacks, as the person who who embodies those and experiences those from your perspective and i know it's not your role to to help them or heal them because my god you know that that's that's out of place but why do you think there is such a fear and i would say even a hatred of transgender bodies from the religious right well i think this is a complicated question and I'll try to give an answer. I think there could be many answers. Uh, some of it is, and I and I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, and I saw very close and up up front um, the vitriol and the hate of difference. Mm. And so there is there is an acceptance of gender and sexuality as as something that is biologically essential. So what I mean by that is when we read in Genesis that God created Adam and Eve, what the right, the religious right and evangelicals read is that God created male and female. But what but what we know is that gender, if you think historically, gender is a category that was created during the Enlightenment, during the modern Enlightenment. And if you look at pre-modern history, you can see a variation of gender and a fluidity of gender, that it wasn't Mm -hmm. stable or essentially tied to one's biology. The other thing I would say is that we have to understand biology in a social world. Biology is not black and white. Biology is not a binary. Biology exists within a social world. And so if we try to interpret biology as something that is uniquely tied to some essential category, we might be missing uh, a great deal of experience. Hmm. Um, And then I think, so, so, you know, the, the primary thing is that what, the religious right and conservative evangelicals read in the Bible and they read it literally. Right. And there is, there is a thread of anti-intellectualism throughout the right. Um, and then, you know, conversely on the left, there is, there is, um, there is a move toward identity politics. And then when you put those together, it's just a disaster. (laughs) And so, you know, I try to take a different approach by looking at history and looking at the shifts in history of the ways in which gender, you know, race, sexuality, ability, all these intersections, how they become stable categories 
what what is happening prior to them becoming stable categories and then what happens to them after becoming stable categories which we can see right now what's happening and and to try to interpret these shifts in real time you know history shapes us mm-hmm. and language creates culture and so how how do we faithfully talk about difference without capitulating to one side or the other and remaining faithful um, to what the person says or how the person identifies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is complex terrain, but a lot of people don't want to give time or credence to lived experience. Mm. And I think if we're going to be faithful in the small things, then we have to begin to listen to stories of people and you know, the stories that I hear are, there are a lot of white cisgendered men who don't like toxic white masculinity, who prefer to be, and I'm using these terms very generically, you know, they want to be soft and gentle and tender, but there's no room for that in the white male body because the expectation is to be this sort of overbearing John Wayne masculinity, right? And then that gets mapped on to what we read in the Bible, how we understand Jesus, et cetera. So, you know, there's a a range of experience that people embody, and we often erase – all of those experiences in favor of one stable, singular notion of identity. And then that becomes the over-encompassing reality for people. Mm. You know, it's interesting you say that, especially as it relates to kind of the binary nature of, of gender in, in which we have kind of grown up. And uh, my former priest was talking to me one day about this. And he said, you know, in, in many indigenous cultures um, – non-binary individuals were elevated to sort of shaman status right. because right. they had transcended the the dualism of you know the gender issue and they were seen as holy people because right. they they had a third eye if you will um, right. but but we've just gone the opposite direction it's you're weird you're different we don't know what to do with you we don't have a category and so we must you know, put you in the category of other right. and then begin the process of dehumanization. Yeah. I, and I, just to speak on that, my ancestral home, my family is from Oaxaca, Mexico. Mm. And in Oaxaca, there is a designated gender called the Mouches. And the Mouches are sacred people and they take care of the elderly and the, the disenfranchised and so, so we know that something other than male and female exists right. and, and we can point to it in real time. I mean, there are mouches living right now and, um, th- you know, they've always been a very interesting um, people group for me to think about and to think beyond the binary. Hmm. 
So I want to talk about this as it relates to spirituality. Sure. Um, I, I, I've heard you reference that you live in, in quote, in-between spaces or yeah. even in, in the borderlands of social, cultural, and religious norms. Um, how has been or, or how is it being a mixed-race queer and gender non-conforming person impacted your faith, your spirituality? And so that's maybe the first question. And then, and maybe a, a, a secondary one is like, what have you been able to see from your perspective that honestly, like even folks like me just have not been able to see because I have been formed to be in the center and only see the center? Mm, those are good questions. So I think the first thing I would say is, and I write about this in my first book, um, doubt has been something that has accompanied me through lots of things. Mm. And I think, you know, coming to terms with my own transness, being Latinx, figuring out how to, how to move in the world as a mixed race person who in some cases can pass for white, but you know, like I, when I was in Palestine, this older man said, what are his roots? And when I, when we told this man Mexico, he said, I knew he wasn't American. And so Mm. there's this, there's this component of, there are some people who don't read me as white and figuring out how to navigate that and figuring out how to, you know, how do I tell my story as someone who has grown up in the United States, but who has spent my summers in Mexico, who um, who is deeply shaped by white Americanism in many respects? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do I how do I live my story faithfully and and doubt, you know, like doubting and um, and yet holding on to hope? has been the two things that have really compelled me. And then, you know, I would say, you know, my trip to Palestine, it, it offered me a vision of masculinity and I'm, and I'm starting to work on some stuff around ethical masculinities, generative masculinities. And I think that, you know, for better or worse, most of my audience are cisgendered white men who are in love with theology, the Theo bros. And, and <laughs> oh, there's no. something, <laughs> there's something there that, you know, I'm wondering like, Oh, like is part of my work to actually plant seeds for a different kind of masculinity. So as a trans man, as a non-binary trans man, how do I do that? What does that look like? And so I, th- you know, I think that, you know, for folks who are in the center and for those of us who are constructing our identifications as we speak, there may be unlikely connections there that mm-hmm. get developed, but we have to be open to those. And, you know, I think for folks who are in the center, who, you know, for folks who, you know, their socialization has really conscripted them into supremacy culture, you know, my curiosity is, 
all right, how do we build bridges together to to create pathways for ethical futures, to create mm. conditions for ethical futures? Because it's not just me who needs freedom. You also need freedom. And right. this is why, you know, as a person of color, I am committed to working with those who are different than me because it's not just the marginalized who need freedom, but the center, those who are in dominant spaces also need to be free. And so how do we build the right kinds of relationships to do that kind of work? Hmm. So I, I, that's what I would say to both of those questions. Wow. Love it. Well, let me let me pivot on that because you just uh, brought up uh, a term supremacy culture, and, and I want to talk to you about that. Um, sure. It, it, it does feel like that we are living in a political and a religious age of extremism um, with authoritarian leaders, obviously here in the United States with Donald Trump, with Ron DeSantis, but even in Europe, it's, it's like right. – Jesus, guys, uh, we didn't we, we didn't learn our lesson with right. fascism and authoritarianism. And uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel, uh, I think it was, who said, you know, words create worlds, and we are moving into into kind of critical stage of the dehumanizing words from the right, yeah. really on everyone that they deem unworthy. Um, and and it does feel like, in your own words, that 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 is linked to a form of supremacy culture. Yeah. What what do you what do you mean by that? And uh, you know, how does that impact you on the margins, uh, really on the day to day, both personally and scholarly? Well, I think that. The first thing I think we need to just recognize is that um, language does create worlds and shapes culture. Hmm. And when, I mean, we can look back to the 70s, right? The consolidation of power on the, on the, the moral majority, the conservative right, it has created conditions for this very moment. Hmm. So, we need to we need to recognize that there are people who believe that this country should be distinctly Christian. There is a move, I think, globally to create theocracies. When 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 they talk about you know you know these terms get tossed around fascism and autocracy and whatnot. Right. It's. It's, it's fused with religion. Mm. So, so we need to think critically about, okay, how do we unhinge religion from politics? Can we do that? Because even from the 300s when Constantine baptized his army, that right. is the beginning of, of empire religion. And Christianity right. has been crippled by empire since then. So um, – can we separate empire and religion, politics and religion, and then what do we do with our practices? If, if, if we begin to look at the ways in which practices have been shaped by religion, we can see a real thread of a kind of moralism that you know, backs up a kind of literal interpretation of the Bible. Hmm. That's very dangerous because one, it's it doesn't take into account 
the Jewish experience and it's reading the Bible through a very particular Christian lens of empire. So we've got a lot of work to do, all of us. And, and it really, it really, you know, I think the thing that is most frustrating is the right is so organized and the left, the left is unorganized and the left, the left is, is, is um, more interested in having a platform of individuals having a platform than creating community. What the right did very well is create community around a common purpose, which was to return this country to the Bible. The left, on the other hand, has become so consumed with celebrity culture and individuals having their various platforms that we have become more separate and and less effective, quite honestly. Mm. And so, you know, for a long time, I've been trying to steward my platform into community because, number one, I, I, I never expected to have a platform, didn't chase after a platform. I went and did a PhD because I believe in the in critical thinking and wanted to try to bring heaven to earth as a theologian. And now that I have this platform, I need to be responsible and and try to create community from this place. So mm-hmm. that that's my hope. I, I know I, I also know that it takes a diversity of tactics um, to do this work. But you know, m- my hope is that other people with platforms will want to join in the effort to create community instead of just you know accelerating their platform and becoming an individual because that is also about whiteness and neoliberalism. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and how do we work together to exactly not only resist, you know, some of these dominator voices and dominator worldviews, but then to 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 cultivate and create uh, alternative ways of being. Um, right. And yeah, it's I, I, you know, I find that I, I get really discouraged in, personally at that because I think many of us who left evangelicalism have either found ourselves alone in that in that process of reconstruction and yeah. or are really just so exhausted by the the infighting and the, and the vitriol from honestly from both sides you know i I see it even on the in the deconstruction space. It's like, my God, can we can can we just get along? You know? Right, and right. and and it's. I guess it's kind of heartbreaking. So maybe maybe to to ask about your personal um, spiritual journey at this point in your life. What what is giving you um, hope? What is feeding your soul in in this journey of becoming? Well, I I can't. I can't speak more highly of rest and the siesta Um, in in a time where we are quote unquote, returning to normal. (laughs) um, I want to encourage people to spaciousness and to Mm -hmm. take a break. So the siesta has been something that I have practiced for a long time and that's given me life. And you know, being introduced to new people who are also trying to do good in the world, that's invigorating and reminds me that I'm not alone. Mm. But I do have to say that, you know, in the past six months, I've been targeted three times and that is exhausting. 
Yeah. And so, um, which, which just tells me we so desperately need community. Mm. Um, and so, uh, in, in my becoming, which is hopefully eternal and never ending, um, I am learning to lean more into the people who are trying to do this thing, right? This good thing in the world, trying to bring heaven to earth and, and really learning to trust that, okay, like we are really better together. And being in conjunto with one another is the better way. And that's really what has been invigorating to my becoming and supporting my becoming. I love that. I, I was on your website and um, I, I saw um, a, a question that your therapist posed you at one point that you had published. And the question was, quote, how can you be your own best friend? Yeah. Um, especially, I would think, as it relates to our bodies. And, you know, it, it don't, really doesn't matter whether we're left, right, center, or whoever. We, we are all embodied human beings that, yeah. you know, honestly, like we struggle to, to make friends with our body, to like our body, um, to understand it, to, to actually, as you said earlier, to connect the head with the heart and, and, and the other parts. Um, how have you learned to become your own best friend throughout your transition and 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 growth and and becoming a whole? Well, it's an ongoing process, and um, I, I feel like that will continue to be a process for me. Uh, one of the one of the things that. Um, has been really helpful is learning how to self soothe. Mm. So when my anxiety gets ratcheted up or when I get targeted, you know, what, what do I need? And sometimes I just need to walk away from the computer and put my phone down. <laughs> right. And, you know, I feel like if I was my own best friend, I would encourage me to do that. Just walk away for a minute. So that that's one thing. And then the other thing is how can I hydrate and eat well and move, you know? So like sometimes I'll be sitting at the computer working all day and I will have this urge to go for a walk. And sometimes I listen to it. Most times I ignore it. <laughs> and you know being my own best friend is learning to listen to those nudges and and trying to follow through mm. and that's hard for me yeah yeah because we feel like that well, we've been so malformed to, to believe that production and inputs and hustling is the way to go right even spiritually um you know when we created this platform the sophia society and holy heretics it was like immediately you got to hustle you got to build an audience right. you got to monetize all this and right. about a year in you know both myself and my co-founder were like the hell with this like this yeah. is this is we are killing ourselves and we're miserable 
we're going to dial back and and one talk about things we want to talk about whether they're re- relevant to the deconstruction community or not yeah. and and we're just going to go at our own pace and like why are we even trying anyways? We right. don't have any money. We don't have any money. We're not going to build right. this. You know? So right. either in, enjoy what you're doing or, you know, move on. Um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a weird thing that we've all been formed in that direction to just not care for ourselves. So, well, I want to I want to end with kind of um, maybe one final um I don't know, sort of real question, if you are. Um, we talked earlier that you, you were the founder of the Activist Theology Project there in Nashville. Yeah. Why did you create that space? And then how can, can maybe some of our listeners learn from that space and or become involved in that work? Yeah, great question. So after the 2016 election, I left my faculty post in Berkeley. And part of the reason I left was because I couldn't find my people and I was really mm-hmm. lonely. And and I decided to move home to the South. I chose the regressive politics of Tennessee over Texas, <laughs> which is where I'm from. And, and I, you know, chose Nashville because I have several friends who are on faculty at Vanderbilt. I wanted to be connected to a library and I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll plan it in Nashville. And then you know, after I was in Charlottesville and really have seen the rise of white supremacy culture, white Christian nationalism and Christofascism, I decided, you know what, I I don't want to chase after a tenure track position and teach all the time. What I want to do is be with real people, help folks connect the dots between what's happening in the world and how religion and Christo-fascism backs that up and, you know, try to bring heaven to earth and build community. And what came of that was a group of people who were and are committed to this vision of building togetherness. And that turned into the Activist Theology Project. And we are just about to launch an app uh, through Mighty Networks to build community to create conditions for belonging and freedom. It will be rich with resources and not just like thought resources, but embodiment resources. Um, Obviously, you know, we have a podcast and that is a point of connection for people. Um, But if you go to atporch.com, you can see the, the website for the porch app and get involved that way. But that that's a great way to, you know, enter into the work. And then obviously um, there's not a lot there on the app. We are building it as we speak, um, hmm. but we invite folks to join and, you know, uh, consider getting their hands dirty with the wounds of the world. Uh, Cause that's hmm. really how we are going to bring more love into the world. Hmm. I love that. Thank you. Well, Dr. Robin, I said that was my last formal question. What we have kind of a tradition here at Holy Heretics of ending our shows with some just fun, rapid fire, get to know you questions. Are you up for that? Would that be okay? Yes, I am. All right. All right. Okay. Here we go. So first kind of rapid fire question. um, What was the best meal you ate when you were in Palestine? Oh, gosh. Every meal. I mean, everywhere I turned around, (laughs) people were handing me a plate. Um, the barbecued chicken was amazing. The falafels were amazing. The dates were amazing. I mean, I could go on. 
um, the hummus, Gage. you know, like the variation of hummus that I had or the baba ganoush. Um, but okay. Can I just say my favorite dessert? Oh yeah. Cause I do have a favorite dessert in Palestine. It's kanafe and it's phyllo dough with cheese and it's mm. fucking amazing. <laughs> sounds awesome my 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 wife and i just got back from paris and we basically spent like an entire day just walking around from bakery to bakery to bakery eating sweets it was yes. it was phenomenal it was unbelievable yes yes okay next next big rapid fire where where are you going next where's your next big trip next big trip is to uh north carolina to hang out with trip fuller at theology beer camp oh man that sounds fun i want to go yeah all right. Uh, third rapid fire. What advice would you give to your younger self? Mm. I think to my younger self, I I would say what my teacher said to me 20 years ago, and I wish I had heard it before I was in my mid-20s, but I would say to my younger self, just be faithful in the small things. Mm. Don't get ahead of yourself. Mm. I love that. All right, final question. Um, we have incredible people on our show, just like yourself. Uh, so it's kind of time to brag. What do you do better than anyone else in the world? What's like your special gift? Oh, non-attachment. Oh, wow. Well, it's, can, can you explain that a bit? Well, I'm a five on the Enneagram, and um, I am just really good at – not holding things too tightly and being able to navigate complex relationships, complex systems, complex thought without holding it too close to myself. So a sense of holding non-attachment in the Buddhist tradition. Love it. I, I'm just venturing into that whole notion of non-attachment, ego death, and, and yeah. incorporating Buddhist teachings and practices into my spiritual faith. And it, yeah. it, it's they, what what I love about it is they give language to a lot of the things that are sort of hidden within Christianity that mm -hmm. you just don't see. So right. I love that. Well, Dr. Robin, this has been uh, just a, a thrill to chat to you with you to to get to know you more. Um, for our listeners who either want to grab your book or to follow you in your uh, activist theology, what, where are some ways they can connect with you uh, online? Yeah, so I'm online on Twitter and Instagram at irobin. That's the letter I-R-O-B-Y-N. And the Activist Theology Project, you can go to activisttheology.com to check out our work. And there is a link to both my personal website and the Porch website. And, you know, check out our podcast, uh, the Activist Theology Podcast. We're in our third season and, um, you know, would love to hear from folks. My DMs are open and always happy to chat and, and discuss things. Wonderful. Dr. Robin, thank you so much. It's, it's been an honor to chat today. Thanks so much. It's good to be here. Thank you for joining us. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society and written by Gary Allen Taylor. Music is by Faith and Foxholes. If you need more resources to guide your spiritual journey, head to sophiasociety.org for articles, resources, and our free ebook on faith deconstruction. And before we go, will you consider joining us on Patreon? 
Your partnership allows us to continue creating this sacred space for seekers like you. By becoming a patron, you gain early access to each podcast episode, as well as premium content, and an exclusive invitation to join our monthly online community. Simply sign up at patreon.com slash holyheretics. See you next time.